1059 The Region, in partnership with REMAX Prime Properties, present On the Market, real estate advice that works for you. Have a real estate question? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region or email us at info at 1059theregion.com. You're listening to 1059 The Region and welcome to On the Market. This is York Region's exclusive radio real estate show. I'm station manager Tina Cortez and my co-host and real estate expert is Asif Khan with Remax Prime Properties. Asif, the last weekend of June is here, summer for the kids, Canada Day weekend. Busy time for you? It sure is. Lots of closings, people trying to get into homes before school starts, so it the, the crunch is on right now. All right. Now, you wanted to share a recent blog from Remax.ca. I did. And, you know, there's there's so many people flocking to Toronto, it, and there's a lot of reasons for it. It's the livability. So there was a livability survey done. Toronto was ranked one of the most livable cities in the world. And what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of spinoff from people wanting to come to Toronto, eventually moving to the region, because now with the transit improvements, the better pricing, only the one land transfer tax, York Region is a solid option, and people are coming to Toronto, but living in York Region and commuting. And what does it mean when you say Toronto is a livable city? You know, there's a variety of factors, Tina. So there's transit, infrastructure, there's bike lanes even, green space, retail shops, restaurants. It's just, it's all-encompassing. So everything that you need to uh, be in a city that's livable, walking distance to certain things, parks, recreation. Toronto has it all. And I guess from our perspective here in York Region, you would say that it extends beyond the Toronto proper border because we do have many of those same characteristics. It sure does. And when you look at subdivisions and communities being built in York Region, they're trying to factor all of these in. So if you're looking at diversity, arts and culture, the food scene, York Region really does have all of that now. Now, if we were to compare price points between Toronto and York Region, would that not also be a draw to York Region? It really is. If you look at condo developments that are in Toronto, you're looking at $1,400 a square foot, $1,200 a square foot, and you take that into York Region, now you're selling for six dollars to $800 a square foot in York Region. So it's almost half the cost to get into a condo. Maintenance fees are less as well. So you're, you're looking at $0.40 cents per square foot rather than 60 or $0.70 cents a square foot. Parking spots are cheaper. When you're looking at houses as well, you're also looking at pricing that is, you know, it's inviting for people. So not only in Markham, Richmond Hill, Vaughan, but Stouffville, King, Newmarket, Aurora, people are moving to these areas because it's easy to commute to to the city now. And when you're looking at land transfer taxes, York Region only has one land transfer tax. Whereas in the city of Toronto, you're paying double the land transfer tax. And that's been a huge draw for people moving to York Region because they're adding maybe 10, 15 minutes to their commute. Now, you talked about the price per square foot in the condo market in York Region. Do you see that going up? It will, and Toronto will go up as well. See, Toronto is a world-class city, but the price points in Toronto do not meet those of world-class cities like Paris, Chicago, New York, and they're going to continue to go up. And as they go up, prices in New York Region will go up. Prices in New York Region have already gone up maybe a couple of hundred dollars, $300 a square foot just in the last five years. And how will you be spending Canada Day weekend? 
There's a lot going on in Markham at Milne Park, so we'll probably be over there. Uh, we're one of the sponsors for the Milne Park Festival, so come out and visit us there. All right. Happy Canada Day, my friend. When we come back, how to address the problems that come up after closing. Our real estate lawyer is here with a few tips to get you through it. Stay with us. You're listening to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region, and welcome back to On the Market, York Region's only radio real estate show. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host is Asif Khan with Remax Prime Properties. Thank you, Tina. Joining us next is one of our regulars, real estate lawyer and broker owner from Remax Empire, Ricky Rathor. Ricky, welcome back. Hey, thanks, guys. Thank you for having me. Ricky, it's that time of year, July 1st, long weekend, and a lot of houses closed this weekend and or yesterday. We usually get a lot of calls from frantic buyers that have moved in and or gotten the keys and they've found some defects or they've found something missing. What's your weekend going to be like? So guys, it really comes down to the contract and I can't emphasize this enough and it's so important that when you're signing off on an agreement of purchase and sale that you've gone through that document very carefully line by line literally with your realtor to make sure you understand what you're signing up for because more often than not my authority as an attorney to act on your behalf flows from that actual agreement of purchase and sale so if you haven't accounted for it in the agreement i can't help you secure any sort of legal illegal rights under the contract unless they're actually in the provisions of the agreement so step one is to make sure your contracts are drafted well and all of the things that you want, you make sure that they're in, a, in the agreement. If the seller tells you something verbally, there's usually a condition, a term in the agreement, rather, that we call the entire agreement clause, which basically says that unless it's written in the actual agreement, irrespective of what the negotiation was, we only go by what are the terms and the conditions in the agreement of purchase and sale. And, and just to take a step back now, buyer has moved in and the appliances are missing, but they're listed appliances in the agreement. Appliances are missing. Appliances are gone, and okay, you know how how do you what's the recourse? How, how do you proceed? Do they call you? Do you call the other attorney? So we normally get a call saying, "Hey, the fridge is gone," right? And right away, like as a lawyer, when I sign with my client, we go through the agreement actually to make sure we understand what the clients have bargained for. So if we see, for example, there's no fridge, no stove, no washer, no dryer in the chattel section of the agreement of purchase and sale, we'll raise a concern right away and say, "Hey, did you not want these things?" Sometimes the buyer says, hey, we bought a new property or we bought a renovated property. The old appliances were garbage. We didn't want them, so we didn't make them a part of the agreement. And then sometimes you get situations where you've actually written them in the agreement and then they're gone. Now, things like fridge and stove and washer dryer, these are common. I've actually experienced situations where the center island in a kitchen is gone because it wasn't included in the agreement of purchase and sale. Wow. My goodness. So you really have to make sure your contracts are drafted well. But wouldn't a center island in the kitchen be part of the kitchen environment? How does that have to be listed separately? So arguably, if you can move it around, which more often than not you can with a center island unless it's got a sink in the middle, it's technically a chattel. It's not physically attached to the property. Unbelievable. Wow. And how about you know minor things that 
hey, you know, we did our walkthrough on Thursday, we got our keys on Friday, and now the stove's not working, or, you know, things like that. Like, how do you deal with that during a long weekend? Asha, that is an excellent question. So when it comes to the, the walkthrough, the final walkthrough, there's a tendency in the industry when, you know, when we draft agreements, we write in that the buyer has the right to inspect the property two further times prior to closing, Right. And more often than not, the listing salesperson or broker goes out, strikes that out, and changes it. To, so it says a visit. you got two final visits before closing. Now, it makes no difference whether it's an inspection or a visit. The frank reality is if you as a buyer are walking into that property, hopefully the week of the closing when, when the sellers have moved their stuff out, and you're looking for any sort of defect. And what I mean by that is when you agree to buy the property who's in a certain shape, and you want to make sure the property is in a similar shape that when you agree to buy it, so if there's any sort of damages, like let's say they moved and the hardwood is now scratched and those scratches weren't there before, you better hope that your home inspector has a log and photo evidence showing the before and after, and you may be able to take legal recourse. Now, what other issues have to be listed in that agreement post-closing? Because, again, things could change. And how long did I, do I have post-closing to make those complaints and identify those deficiencies? You know, again, you've got to look at the contract. <clears throat> so the way it works, and, and I don't want to get overly technical, but the whole concept is, is that once the deal closes, the transaction comes to an end. This is called the principle of merger. So any sort of representation and warranty that would have been in the agreement, for example, it'll say seller represents and warrants the chattels and fixtures are going to be in good working order on closing. As soon as the deed is registered and the transaction closes, if the fridge stops working one minute after closing, it's no longer the seller's problem, right? And so you want to put in a provision that says this warranty shall survive and not merge upon completion of the transaction. So there's specific language you need to reserve in your agreement. And again, as a registrant, if I'm the buyer salesperson or broker, I'm going to make sure it says that the warranty survives and does not merge. Whereas if I'm the seller side, I'm going to cross out that last sentence because the last thing I want is the buyer going in putting in dishwasher soap into the laundry machine and saying, hey, the laundry machine doesn't work anymore. So you have to account for these things. And going back to Asif's point, you want to make sure that before the closing you've gone in, check the appliances and make sure they're working. Now, here's the funny part. A lot of people will call me and say, hey, Ricky, the fridge and stove aren't working. We don't want to close anymore. Unless it's a significant and serious issue going to the heart of the contract or heart of title, more often than not, you're not able to say, I'm not closing the deal. Because if you don't close the deal, you're screwed. So you have to be very careful with the advice that you obtain with your attorney. And you should, you know, get the advice from your realtor, but make sure you get qualified legal advice and not just listen to the realtor. Because more often than not, they don't understand the nuances. So if a fridge isn't working before closing, I'll get a call from the buyer saying the fridge isn't working. Uh, a similar replacement, because, you know, you, you bargain for a used fridge, you're not going to get a brand new one. So a similar replacement is going to cost me 250 bucks. Can we do something about it? Now, what we can do is we can suggest the holdback. We can tell the seller's lawyer, this is an issue we found. We want you to set aside $250 until we can either replace or repair or whatever it is, this item. Now, the seller's lawyer, more often than not, will come back and say, hey, it's not in the agreement, so we don't, we don't agree to the holdback. And in that situation, I'll go to the buyer and say that, look, your contract doesn't make mention of a holdback, and we can't pull off miracles now because of that. And that's something that we hear all the time where the buyer is saying, oh, yeah, well, I need this money held back. And the lawyer will write to the other lawyer and say, well, we want a $5,000 holdback until this or this is done. But you're right. That's not part of the contract. So there's no legal right for the other lawyer to be requesting the holdback or expecting a holdback. 
That's right. So again, it all goes back to the contract. Sometimes clients will comply. You know, if we, if we say this is what the other party's requesting, are we able to accommodate? You know, clients will usually accommodate, but sometimes clients that are more sophisticated will say no. And, and, and quite frankly, if the contracts are written a certain way, we know more often than not a buyer, if there's a broken fridge, they're not going to go to small claims court for $250. The cost-benefit analysis, it just doesn't make any sense in, in, in pursuing an action like that after the fact. So some people play the odds. You know, and we've seen transactions from, you know, perspectives where both parties are very accommodating, they like each other, want to make sure everything is in, you know, ship shape with the relationship. And then we've seen situations where more sophisticated parties come in and say, hey, I don't care. You do what you want. Sue me afterwards. You don't close, I'm going to relist the property right away. Wow, so it sounds like good faith goes out the window. No, good faith is always implied. But again, to, <laughs> to secure legal recourse, Tina and assets, it's just, you know, when you got to go through the court system, sometimes a simple letter from a lawyer is good enough, but if the other party refuses, you're in court, small claims court or superior court, depending on the size. How did the buyer and seller's lawyers come together and find that happy middle ground? It's all about negotiation. At the end of the day, you want a lawyer that not only you know understands the contract, but also has experience in dealing with these sorts of matters, and they come with time. They come with a number of transactions that you over over the course of years you know do complete. And based on that, you know, sometimes you deal with a lawyer who may not understand it as well. And, some, you know, we work together because as a lawyer, I know I'm going to work with the lawyer that I'm working with on this particular file again. So we don't try to burn bridges. And, you know, a lot of lawyers get emotionally invested in transactions, but that's not my job. My job is to give legal advice, keep it professional, and make things happen in the best interest of the client. That's great advice, Ricky. And, uh, again, we thank you for uh, joining us. What's the best way for people to contact you if they need more clarification on this give me a call anytime 416-731-8478 happy canada day weekend ricky you guys as well when we come back we get to your real estate questions and this week's hot listing and just a reminder if you missed any part of our show go to 1059theregion.com stay with us need to connect with asif khan from remax prime properties call him 416-985-KHAN. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's exclusive radio real estate show on 105.9 The Region. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host is Asif Khan with Remax Prime Properties. Time now for our listener questions, and the first one comes from Jason in Markham. He's heard about the micro-condo craze and wants to know, Asif, if you think it is really a good investment or a path to get into the market. What do you think? Great question, Jason, and it's both. It's it's a great way to get into the market. I mean, you're going to be paying a little bit higher in terms of dollars per square foot, but the rentability of these is huge. There's a lot of people that live, you know, want to live in the downtown core and all they can afford is micro condos. So it's a great way to get into home ownership. But at the same time, if you're an investor, it's a great property to lease out. There's so many people that are transient and they come to the city Monday to Friday and they just want a small place to hang their hat and during the week and then they go back home. So it's a, a perfect place for them. It's better than them renting a, a hotel room. It becomes their space. So you have a huge market to be able to rent these two as well. Asif, can we just take a step back and explain what is a micro condo? A micro condo is a condo which is usually under 
500 square feet under 400 square feet sometimes there's condos out there that are 280 300 square feet and they're very well laid out i mean it's almost like if you think about a cruise ship and the rooms that you have in there you have everything in there and that's what these micro condos are like is this what used to be called um, a bachelor apartment back in the day it is, but it's half the size of what oh, it was even, back in the day. It's yeah. still half the size. Okay. Our next question comes from Laura in Thornhill. She wants to know, how does she create curb appeal easily and without spending too much money? Another great question, and this is something that we were just talking about in our office, and some people, they don't, they just want instant curb appeal. So they'll go out and they'll buy pots, and, and they'll just plant in pots so they can move them around, and you don't have to dig and get soil and everything you're creating that atmosphere just with pots and, and planters. Okay. Asif, if our listeners want to connect with you directly, how can they do that? Then give us a call at 416-985-CON. That's 416-985-5426. And just before we go, this week's hot listing. Joining us next is Heather Cooper from Remax Prime Properties. Heather, over to you. This week's hot listing is a beautiful four-bedroom, four-bathroom detached home located in Cornell of Markham. It's got 2,000 square feet plus a finished basement. You walk in, it's got a beautiful two-story front entry, 10-foot ceilings on the main floor, a beautiful open-concept kitchen with quartz countertops, and the master bedroom has cathedral ceilings and a five-piece ensuite. And it's also got a bonus loft upstairs that could be used as a fourth bedroom. Wow, sounds lovely, and I like the idea of a cathedral ceiling in the master. That's amazing. And the loft. The loft is huge. So when these homes were built, this was an option that some people took advantage of, and it was a great option to take advantage of because it gives you more living space. So you can either put your teenage kids up there, you can use it as a, a master bedroom, you can use it as a family room. There's so many different ways that you could use this extra space. That's terrific. Heather, one more time, the highlights of this property and where our listeners can get more information. The house is located at 26 Spring Meadow Avenue and listed for $920,000. And for more information, they can contact Susan Taylor at 905-554-5522. Asif, that's our show for this week. Thank you, Tina. Great show. Remember, if you need to connect with Asif Khan or if you missed any part of On the Market, go to our website, 1059theregion.com. Thanks for listening. Need to connect with Asif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca.